this is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used in churches for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used in the lectionary in the coming weeks. Today's passage is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. It happens to be the reading for the second Sunday of Advent in the year C cycle of the lectionary, and that happens to be the lectionary reading for December 5, 2021. This is a rich text in Luke's Gospel, verses 1 through 6, that really frames the ministry of John the Baptist, but for the purpose of this episode of podcast, I want to dig deep in a very particular part of this passage of Scripture. It's in verse 3. It says, And he came, that is John, into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I just want to focus on that last part of verse 3 for this week's episode. Preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. There are four important words in that short phrase. Baptism, repentance, forgiveness, and sins, and I'd like to talk about them one at a time. Let's start with baptism. Uh, The word baptism uh, in English is really a transliteration of its Greek version. In other words, it's a a rendering of how that word sounds in English with its Greek letters. Baptizo is the Greek verb for baptism, and it means to dip. Now, likely it means immersion, but it can also mean some form of uh, bathing or washing. It does lift up this nuance, though, of the whole person being wet. And so this baptism of John that's happening is a baptism that is uh, more than likely an immersion that's happening in the Jordan River. Now, we have to be careful when we read these texts because Luke, who wrote this gospel, is writing to a community that's well-versed in Christian baptism. But let's keep in mind that this is not Christian baptism we're reading about in this text. This is John's baptism in the wilderness. Now, John's baptism is included in a notion of Christian baptism, but John's act is grounded more in the Jewish tradition of ritual cleansing than what would ultimately become the Christian form of baptism. This Jewish tradition around ritual cleansing had to do with what is called the mikvah, this ritualized cleansing uh, that took place within many within the Jewish community, especially amongst those who were wealthy and influential. We're finding just in the last 20 to 30 years in some of the archaeological excavations in Jerusalem, homes of the uh, Jewish leadership, especially within the priestly order, those who were responsible for the Jewish temple, We find in their homes a mikvah. It essentially looks like what we would describe as a a baptistry. It has steps on one side that goes down to a very small platform and then steps that come up on another side. It's like a little tiny pool. And in the Jewish tradition, Jewish leaders would walk down those steps, dip themselves in the water, and then walk out the steps on the other side. And this form of ritual cleansing was significant in the time of John. Many people who were of that priestly order and other religious leaders practiced using the mikvah, and the most wealthy people had a mikvah in their own home. They had a private mikvah in which they could practice this form of ritualized bathing. John, on the other hand, doesn't have a 
a mikvah in his home. He doesn't really even have a home. John goes out to the wilderness, likely near a place today we call Bethany beyond the Jordan, and it's due east of Jerusalem. And there's a great contrast here because in the ritualized cleansings that were going on within this first century world, the rich uh, would practice these ritualized cleansings multiple times a day because they basically had their own private pool to do so, quick, easy, and accessible. But for John, it required effort to go to where he was baptizing people in the Jordan River. Uh, This is a treacherous road from Jerusalem down to the Jordan River Valley, which uh, this place where John was baptizing was maybe just a few miles north of where the Jordan River emptied into the Dead Sea. This particular road is quite treacherous and dangerous. As a matter of fact, Jesus tells a story or a parable about this road in the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's the road that goes from Jericho to Jerusalem. So people would have to go down this road into the Jordan River Valley to find John. All that's to say is that to get to John required great effort. It was a huge lift for people to go see John, to listen to his preaching, and to be baptized by him in the Jordan River. Baptism was a form of washing in the ancient world. Sometimes it was a ritual act. And most importantly, John's baptism in the Jordan River is one that signified something. And we're going to talk about what that means in a moment. But let it be this for right now. The the key passageway is this, that baptism is an act of affinity and identity. It's about shared community. So for us as Christians, and John's baptism is a part of our ritual, it's a, a baptism is a ritual act into the community of faith and the grace of God. It's, it's that which unites us. In John's case, being baptized by him was uh, uh, significant because it signified readiness for the gospel of grace. For us, looking back at it, it means for us the response to that grace. While we are baptized, and when we are baptized, it is about something bigger than ourselves. So it's really two things, as I mentioned. It's an act of affinity, in other words, a shared experience of Christ together, and it's about identity, that we are a belonging uh, to the community of Jesus, that we are part of Christ Jesus himself by moving through this ritual of baptism. It says that John was preaching a baptism of repentance. So let's dwell into this word repentance for just a moment. This word repentance in Greek is a very well-known word. Many uh, people know it, even who don't know the Greek language of the New Testament. It's metanoia is the word for repentance. And the meaning of this word is rich and significant. But let's talk about what this word repentance also means in Hebrew. In Hebrew, the word repentance literally means to put the back of your face towards something. And so it means a a turning of direction. And even in Greek and in the New Testament, the notion of repentance is about direction. And let's be very clear. It is not about remorse or regret. Metanoia, the word for repentance, focuses on behavior. In this case, Baptism was the act that signified repentance. It was the first act taken in this movement of repentance. Now, there's no biblical example at all 
of metanoia, repentance, being tied to baptism. So this story in John's gospel and the same version of the story in Mark's gospel is the first time we actually hear of such a thing. And it relates in many ways to forgiveness, which is the word we're going to talk about in just a moment. This relationship in scripture between repentance and forgiveness is tried and true. Forgiveness and repentance are linked, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. But in the New Testament, not just in Luke's gospel, but throughout the New Testament, metanoia, or the word for repentance, is rich in its meaning. Paul uses it often in his letters. Jesus uses it in his discourses and his call for people to repent or to turn from their sin. Now, while all these different uses may have a slightly different nuance to the meaning of repentance, the one thing that is in common is the core meaning of metanoia. It, it's a it's an actional outcome. It's something that is done in behaviors. It's never a word about emotion, except when that emotion fuels some form of constructive action. And this puts John the Baptist squarely in the prophetic camp of Isaiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, and most importantly, Jeremiah. These biblical prophets all gave the call for repentance. And so Luke, the writer of this gospel, likely is trying to make a parallel between John the Baptist and Jeremiah. Why? Because John is a prophet who prepares people. And it's very similar to the work of Jeremiah in his work of preparing the Judeans for the reality of the Babylonian exile that was going to come to them. Luke is trying to uh, capture this sense of who Jeremiah was as he represents John the Baptist as a, a preacher in the wilderness, uh, letting people have an opportunity to prepare for that which is coming. The key passageway here is this, that repentance is the doorway to grace. Now, we must be careful. Repentance is not about our sense of feeling. Again, it's not about remorse or regret. Repentance is about action. It's about God's grace that's accessed by us when we turn to accept it. Refusing repentance then means that we've put up a barrier in our own life to experience the grace of God. So careful examination of our life and actions is often in order. Repentance is about seeing things God's way rather than our own. We stop, we turn to God, and then we begin moving in the direction God calls us. This is repentance. It's the act that we take when we turn our lives to have a new direction. The text tells us that John the Baptist is in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance. We've explored the words baptism and repentance, but now we turn our attention to the word forgiveness. Now, John is doing a little bit of foreshadowing here. As uh, I shared earlier, the baptism of John points toward something else. Our baptism and Christian baptism points back toward something so John himself even acknowledges that his ministry is a shadow of that which is coming in Jesus. Uh, John the Baptist talks at length 
in this same chapter of Luke's gospel where he says, for example, as for me, I baptize you with water, but he is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's verse 16 of this very same chapter. We might think of John's preaching as a way of preparing people to receive that forgiveness. This is why repentance is important. Repentance is that that first act we take in order to experience the forgiveness that God has given to us. Now, I want to be careful. It's not at that moment we are forgiven. It's at that moment we experience the fullness of the forgiveness God has given. We'll talk about that in a moment. John is pointing here to Jesus, and and this forgiveness uh, and the notion of forgiveness in the Bible is really complex. It, it can be confused with a lot of different words that get thrown around in the scripture, like remission or expiation or propitiation. These are all big, gigantic words. At, at the core, forgiveness, forgiveness is about release. And, and as a, a people who came to see John, oftentimes not those in positions of power or authority, but marginalized people. Those are the ones who came to see John. They needed this word. There was much for them to be forgiven and to forgive. They were deeply in touch with that. So later, we're going to hear about religious leaders in this very same chapter who come to question John to see what he's doing, who believe that they're in no need of forgiveness whatsoever. And those are the ones who criticize John for his baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Ultimately, this lack of awareness about forgiveness and repentance will lead to John the Baptist's arrest and his death. Forgiveness is about liberation, and John is pointing toward this liberation that is coming in Jesus, and that helps us understand the key passageway about the word forgiveness, that forgiveness in Christ is the liberating love of God. The theologian Karl Barth was once asked when he was saved, and the question was obviously intended to have him fix a date and time when he came to uh, know Jesus Christ as his uh, Savior. And Barth answered that question in a fascinating way. He said that he was saved in A.D. 33. That's the year Christ was crucified and was resurrected. Bart is correct. John points to Jesus as the pivot point, and our baptism looks back to Jesus as the pivot point. So asking God to forgive us today diminishes in many ways the work of the cross. We are forgiven. We are a liberated people. Now, being liberated isn't a license to do that which we wish, but being liberated means that we have now a freedom to love and experience grace in a new way. Forgiveness in Christ is the liberating love of God, and this forgiveness and the experience of it sets us free to love as Jesus would call us to love. And finally, we turn to the last word in this short phrase that Luke gives us in John, I mean, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter uh, 3, verse 3, that John came about preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So finally, we come to the word sin. Now, there are those who know that they're sinners, and there are no, those who don't know. 
and uh, that's the reality of sin we'll mention in a second here. But John's critics will come down to see him at the Jordan River, and they're going to wonder why he's baptizing at the Jordan River in opposition to Jewish law, to the temple rituals, to all the different things that observant uh, religious Jews would have observed in his day. But in reality, the Jewish people, they were in need of this confidence of forgiveness. And these people who come for this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness already know their sin. That's exactly why they're there. These people didn't need to know about sin. They had experienced it fully as marginalized people, as people uh, who were ostracized from community, from people who did not enjoy any of the privileges of power or influence. They knew what sin was like, not only to do it, but to be victimized by it. And that's exactly why they're there. It's the notion of knowing the sin drives them to the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of it. The word for sin is harmartia in Greek, and all it means is to miss the mark. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's universal. But the thing about sin that we need to remember, biblically speaking, is that sin is seldom framed in the New Testament in, uh, with what I'll describe as a judicial lens. Uh, it's not so much that guilty of sin or innocent of sin, like we would think of a judicial proceeding. No, sin in the New Testament is much more understood as endemic. It's a therapeutic problem that we need to deal with that afflicts us in the human condition. And what's at stake here is that John the Baptist is pointing toward salvation. John the Baptist is pointing toward the healing and wholeness we can experience through this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. What matters with sin biblically is only this. It's self-awareness. You see, sin points to the need for forgiveness. It points to the need for liberation. It points to the need for healing. Forgiveness then points us to repentance, and repentance points us to baptism. This flow of thought amongst these four words becomes very important for us, because the key passageway when we're dealing with sin is simply this, that dealing with sin, it's about awareness of it, not agreement on what it is. You know, the, the prophets throughout Scripture, and including John the Baptist, call out to us to help us see sin in and among us. It's not about whether there is or is not sin. It's about whether we're able to see it. And so the call here for us to even hear as we read this passage in Luke 3 is a call toward introspection, a call to wonder just for a moment that, that humility is really the great marker of those who are attuned to sin and grace, arrogance, hubris, pride. These are all the characteristics exhibited by the leaders who come to interrogate John the Baptist. But the people who are coming for this baptism, the people who are longing for the grace that's there, they come in humility. And so really for us, as we talk about this, this theological word sin, the beginning of holiness is the awareness of sin. And it's the awareness of sin, not in others first, but in us first. That humility about who we are, 
about having self-awareness of who we are and our deep need for God's liberating, powerful grace and love are something we can never lose touch of as we move through each and every day. The beginning of holiness is the awareness of sin. So as we deal with sin, let's look inwardly into ourselves and think less about whether we agree if it's sin or not, but really more about the awareness of it and the need to do something with it. That's it for this week. I bid all of you grace. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon next time.